I'm Brooke Lamb. And I'm Lindsay Sampson. And this is Kismet, a podcast exploring the big and small moments in life that change us. We hope you find here an invitation to notice more fully the presence of love in your own life and receive the gifts of the stories of others. Thanks for listening. Hello. Uh, welcome back to Kismet. We're so excited to have y'all back. Today we have Jennifer Bartley Hello. here with us. Yay. We're so excited. So grateful you decided to come on. Thank you. So I am a Texas native. I feel like that's part of my identity and will always be. I have lived in Nashville for eight years. My family and I moved here together. My family is, um, I'm a mom of four boys. Wow. Um, they're 16 down to nine, so that takes up a lot of space and a lot of wanted space. I'm also a marriage and family therapist, and so I work here in Nashville. I do work with parents and adults. You can find me at daybreaktherapyservices.com. Dot com, beautiful. <laughs> It'll be in the show notes. <laughs> And I actually know Jennifer from the therapy world. Not surprising. Again, here this is our second time we've had therapists. We, sh- uh, we will eventually have non-therapists <laughs> on the show. You know, Just therapists talking to therapists, baby. Therapists yeah. like to talk about themselves because we do a lot of listening and supporting and holding space. So it's kind of a delight to get to have a place to be interviewed and to be a person. Our relationship was one of professional nature at first. I was your supervisor for your license. Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting, like sort of watching your evolution as a person, because I didn't know at the time that what I was witnessing was not just like you having this new profession, like you were. I was in it. In it. (laughs) I really was. And it's so evident to me, (laughs) like the person that you were, I know you were the same person, but the way you presented at that time and the way you present now. So I'm just really excited to hear from you about a moment in your life. If you guys are like me, at the end of the day, after working with clients and being with my kiddos and just the busyness of the day, I love to relax with my husband and we like to watch shows that we both can get into and particularly I wanted to share about Prime Video. Amazon has been producing some really amazing content for the last several years. Some of the shows that we're enjoying right now, we really are loving The Power. I'm watching that one. So many interesting themes about patriarchy and women in the world. Really fascinating dystopian look at what would happen if sort of the power dynamics in this world are flipped on their heads. And there's so many other ones. So if you haven't yet tried Prime Video, we are able to get you a free trial for Prime Video. So if you want to try it out, see if there's any shows on there that you connect with, have access to tons and tons of content, you can go to kismet-podcast.com slash Amazon, kismet-podcast.com slash Amazon to sign up for a free trial there. And I hope you guys can find some enjoyable stuff to watch. Thanks for listening. Uh, Back to the show. Do you want to jump in? Tell us your story. Okay. My kismet moment is, surprisingly, a moment that happened in therapy. But I was a therapist client in this moment. I have to give you a tiny bit of backstory to jump into where this moment starts. The moment is a a pretty profound moment in a journey of healing that I had been on for 
um, several years leading up into it. And it's not the moment. It wasn't a miraculous thing. But it was a significant part. So I had gone to therapy to feel my feelings because (laughs) this isn't necessarily going to make sense to people who haven't tried to be a therapist, but it doesn't take long when you're trying to be a therapist that you realize you have a ton of stuff you have to work through in order to do your own work well. And so I was probably like five seconds into be trying to be a therapist before I was like, ooh, there's some stuff here. <laughs> yeah, which is right. part of what we, what happened in supervision. Yeah, you saw some of that. Yeah. I had been a part of a very conservative and dogmatic religious group for most of my life until I was like about 30. And it had been most of my identity. I think everybody experiences religion in a different way. And for me, it was my entire life experience. There was very little that separated my religious perspectives and involvement from my core identity. It was basically wrapped up in who I was as a person. And That was working really well for me for a lot of years. It brought a lot of joy and safety and security and community. I had a lot of good experiences in that time. But as I experienced things in the world and had questions, some of the questions I had started to not have the same answers they used to. Basically what happened was when I was about 32, my faith unraveled completely. Um, I had a moment, a pretty profound moment where I thought to myself, like, I don't think I believe any of this anymore. And that was devastating. I didn't even really process what that meant at the time, but it changed everything for me in a profound way. And also at the same time, I kept going on in my life. I was a mom. I had four little kids. You wouldn't have known if you saw me that that was going on because I sort of just shelved it and went on about my life, which is very adaptive. And if you know trauma, that is the way that we function. We just put things away, we split it off, and we save it for later when it's safe to unpack. And so five years fast forward of me kind of shelving that and not being able to process what had happened, I'm in therapy. And I had been in therapy for six months. It took me a long time to build trust and open up, and we had done a lot of work. And I had an experience in therapy that was uh, profound layer of healing that helped me reconnect to myself and find the love and kindness and sense of peace that I had lost five years before when kind of the lights went out in my own spiritual world. So what happened was as I was in therapy where I had originally asked a therapist to help me quote feel my feelings which basically just meant I was really iced out from I hadn't like cried about things I felt I needed to cry about. I I was pretty shut down. And when I say that, I mean like I've been to funerals of close loved ones and I had not shed a tear. And I just felt like there's something really a little bit wrong with that. And so we had started working on that. But it wasn't long into the therapy process that I began to realize that the spiritual situation that had happened for me, I had shelved was like the closet door was prying itself open pretty quickly. The type of therapy that I was doing, which I'll have to explain a tiny bit about to make this whole thing make sense, was called internal family systems. The idea is that you are rebuilding a relationship with yourself in a particular way. And when you do that kind of therapy, the therapist is kind of a guide and helps you navigate your inner world in a specific way. So in that therapy, you think of yourself as having subdivided 
parts, which I know this might be a little weird if you've never heard of it, but you know, if you're like in a certain dilemma and you're thinking back and forth, like, oh, I want to do this, but I also want to do this. Well, it's just kind of like that. But in this therapy, you really hone in on that debate and you visualize it. You would close your eyes and you would reflect, okay, well, this part of me that thinks one way, like how do I experience that part? And maybe it's connected to a body sensation or maybe you can even visualize like there's an image that comes up when I think of this part and you really like work that way. The purpose of that is so that instead of the clouded conversations we have in our head, you can actually go inside and you can help each part of yourself in a really meaningful way because you can interact with yourself in a compassionate, loving, curious way. So in the therapy session that is this moment for me, I was focusing on a part of me that got really anxious in social situations. And what had happened was because five years before that, I had sort of had this thought to myself, like, I don't believe this anymore. There wasn't really anyone I could tell that to because everybody in my community was a part of that religious orientation. And I knew they wouldn't understand. Not only would they not understand, they would not have anything helpful to say it would be like taboo I would be like a sad story to them but like I would threaten their own sense of security and safety and what they believed and so it just wasn't safe to have those conversations so what I started to do is I had the part in me who would say to me over and over uh, read the room Jennifer just read the room you can't have this conversation you can't respond in the way that you need to you need to read the room and you need to keep this to yourself I also didn't have words to explain how, what had happened inside of me. It wasn't like there was like the word deconstruction or faith crisis. Like I did not know what had happened to me and no one was there to explain it. And so I was just like holding it by myself. I'm curious if if you would be willing to share a little more just about like what that loneliness was like for you. I didn't really include this, but some of my physical symptoms for those five years and so I couldn't talk where I would start shaking pretty violently inside like I could you wouldn't know from the outside but I was having like almost mini panic attacks where I'd be in a situation where somebody would say a bible verse or allude to something spiritual and I would just freeze because I couldn't say anything but also my body would start shaking shivering more is a better word I would shiver in therapy I had sat with this and the imagery that came up in my mind was that there was one part standing in front of a closet door And the other part was inside the closet in the dark. And that is where this sort of scene falls out. The first level of negotiation, if you will, was the part that had their hand on the closet door saying it's not safe. And throughout, I mean, I told you, like, this is six months into therapy. So that part had begun to trust me and trust the therapist I was working with that it was actually going to be safe, that this was a a place where... Um, all the parts of me were welcome, that I'd had other conversations with a therapist and let her know a little of my history. And the responses she had given were so welcoming and accepting that I knew she was going to be able to hold whatever I had happen. So that part sort of backed down and moved away from the closet door. And I opened the closet door. And the imagery I had at that time was the part of me that was sitting slumped on the floor crying or maybe just silent that had not been able to say or express what what had happened, you might think, oh, I went and rescued that part, but I didn't. And that's what's important with IFS is that part just needed someone to listen. And when I listened, that part did 
eventually kind of turned to me. So you have to, like, this is sort of like a movie playing out in my head. And it might sound odd if you haven't done this, but it felt very real at the time. I'm, I'm looking at me, a version of me when I'm like 33, who is sitting down and sit, and then this part says to me, yeah, I haven't been able to say this to anyone. It's been really lonely here. I've been wishing and hoping that someone could see me and would ask and that there would be someone that would be safe enough to say what had happened for five years now and no one has been here and and you Jennifer haven't been here like I've been on the closet shelf like I haven't been able to do anything with this and so this part was carrying all of that sadness and confusion and loss so much loss so much grief And I just listened and I sat and I don't know in the space of real time how long I listened. It was an hour long therapy session. So it was some amount of time. And I listened and I validated. And if you're in a conversation with someone like that and then they say, I really feel your pain, it feels good to feel like someone gets it. I feel that from y'all looking at me right now. But also when you feel your own pain, um, no one feels that pain like you do. And so as that part is telling me that, I'm I'm kind of saying back to it, like, yeah, I know. Like, all of your saying is true. Like, not only do I know that that's true, I feel that that's true. Memories are flooding back, like experiences, and I'm validating every single thing that that part is sharing with me and saying, like, yeah, you're right. That was really, really hard, and I'm so sorry. Um, and there's the nervous system regulation is I'm not, I'm not lost in how bad it was. I'm, I'm, bringing compassionate love and almost like a mom would comfort a child. You know, I'm, I'm feeling sad for the part, but I'm also saying I'm here now and I hear you now and it's okay. And, um, you don't have to be alone anymore with this and you don't have to be alone ever again with this. You don't have to be afraid. And I mean, it was beautiful. And then at a certain amount of time, and this is kind of the second half of the story, that's like my favorite part. In IFS, the protocol for that therapy is that you let the part tell you what it needs to share. And when it's really all done and you check and you make sure that there's not more, um, and sometimes that can take more than one session, but you invite the part to leave where it is. And so I said to that part, you want to get out of this closet? Because you can. I can help you now with that. And the part said yes. And then you ask the part, um, well, where do you want to go? And the part can just decide. So this is sort of the fun of IFS. It's very experiential. And I don't know, your creative mind kind of kicks in. And the part gives you a, what what do you want to do? So the part said, I want to go to a prairie far away from all of this, like, like restrictive closet, like the kind of like the way that I felt was um, in the community that I had been in I I just couldn't be there anymore I just needed to be away I needed to be in a place where I didn't have to worry about the conversations um, and there weren't any people and I could just be okay so me in the park you know in my mind transport and we're sitting on the top of a big hill um, and it looks like like an old prairie like you know pioneer days and the part said to me like I I just want to be a pioneer now like I just want to be alone there's uncharted things ahead. I don't want to worry about anyone else. I want to be a pioneer with you. So remember, like, the part's not alone anymore. Like, I'm now with the part. So I'm sitting on this, like, rock, like this tabletop rock, and we're looking down on the prairie, and there's just beauty, and the wind is blowing, and 
I literally am feeling like I have just done a reconnaissance mission and rescued a kidnapped person from an actual closet. And it feels, it feels that much relief and safety and healing. And yeah, I just, I have a memory of sitting there and looking across the prairie with that part. And there's almost no words to explain in my body how that felt. Um, I think that's what the point of this podcast is, that there's no words for this experience, but it was that good. And it changed things for me profoundly, profoundly. Thank you so much for listening to Kismet. It's been great to share this with you guys today. It would help us out a lot um, if you would be able to go to wherever you're getting your podcast from. If you would please rate and review us, that would be wonderful. And subscribe as well, especially um, on Apple Podcasts. If you go to kismet-podcast.com, there's a link there that says support Kismet. And that's the link to go to to find ways that you can support our work so that we can continue working on bringing these stories to you. Share us on social media. We do have Instagram and Facebook and would just love to be able to spread this conversation a little bit more widely. For more info, again, go to our website, kismet-podcast.com. And thank you so much for supporting us by doing these things. It really does make a big difference. So there's sort of like the the internal and the external, the external, there's like the work, there's the journey that you had just been on with yourself of mm-hmm. asking yourself what it needs and sitting with yourself and sitting with all your parts and integrating everything and asking the part, you know, what do you need? Where do you want to go? What's next for us? Mm-hmm. And then you leave therapy and you're just <laughs> out and it's just a Tuesday or whatever day it is. <laughs> what was surprising to you about when Aww. you emerged what did you find? Okay. This therapy session happened in 2020 COVID lockdown. I was in my bathroom with a, a, an ironing board holding my laptop up facing my toilet. And so, yeah, my eyes are closed and I'm having this profound moment of healing. And then the session ends and I shut my laptop. But I will answer you. One thing that, um, my therapist recommended, which is very valid, is like spend time with this part. So even though I went on about my day, probably went downstairs and tried to homeschool my kids or something, you know, in that time frame. (laughs) Some utter disaster. Like everyone needed me suddenly and there was drama, but I left with that warm, loving part inside of me was still with me through my day. And the way that I return to that is I found songs, love songs, very sappy love songs that were on the theme of what had happened to me, for me and me. And I would go on a walk with my AirPods and I would just listen to the songs. And I would think of, sometimes the song would be like, I just want to come home. I just want to come back home and be with you. And that felt like it was the part saying, I'm so, so glad to not be alone. And sometimes the songs were like, I will walk a thousand miles to be with you. And I would like kind of think of singing that back to the part. And it was just the best. So that's how I kind of reintegrated it into my life. You were transformed by love. Mm -hmm. That You know, like love. Mm -hmm. Talk about the ways that that changed you, like literally in your your body. Mm -hmm. 
the greatest loss that had happened five years before wasn't the community and it wasn't my worldview. It was that my connection to myself and the love that I had in myself had all been hinged on it being given to me and given to a divine figure that was outside of me. And all of my spiritual understandings and my own love for myself was hinged on that. And so what had happened five years before was that hinge broke. And that's why that type of pain and that kind of like religious trauma is such a real thing that we can't, it's disenfranchised grief. We don't have words for that right now very well. But something broke inside of me that was very important. And that day, something reconnected. I feel like I rescued myself in a way that I was the only one that could. In a way, that day, the lights went back on inside. And even though there were many, there were many layers of healing and there are still many layers of healing that happened, it's like a computer that reboots and it's the screen is black and then you have that blinking cursor. That day was my blinking cursor. That experience reconnected something inside of me that was profound and important. I literally think in every podcast I'm going to talk about James Finley because I love him so much. Okay. Um, he's my mystic guy. I've told you oh, about cool. him. He like talks about Christian mystics and stuff, but he talks about loneliness and he talks about the sensations that are like different kinds of loneliness being loneliness for literal people, right? Like I, I need to be with people loneliness for some connection to something outside of ourselves, whether it's meaning or the universe or God or love, whatever, but then lonely for yourself. Yeah. And that that is like the most fundamental thing that so many of us, especially with religious trauma, don't have a sense of because mm -hmm. there's so much denial of self, mm -hmm. so much promotion of you should never be thinking about yourself. Yeah. That displacement of our connection to our autonomous self is really painful to heal and needed. What I heard from you is I was almost deferring or like delegating love to somebody else. Like yes. I was the only love that I would receive is the love, you know, from this religious community or from this capital D divine or from this external place, like externalizing all of this love. And all of a sudden in this moment, it's almost like I became a generator of love rather than just being the thing that has to receive. And then when that hinge breaks, it's just you. Yeah. Loveless. Because yeah. all the places that you used to receive love mm -hmm. from are no longer available to you. Yeah. And all of a sudden, to be able to sit and say, I am in community. That's, that, that's important. Being integrated is important. And also I am stable and I have a stability and I have an ability to generate love for other people, but also to generate love for myself and to see myself and to listen to myself and to be a person who's for whom like all the parts are worth listening to. I think we're all born with that inside of us anyway that it is inside of us. No one gives it to us. No one, it's like a birthright is how I've heard it said. And I always had that in there. It was already there. It was already me. If I think back about me as a little four-year-old girl spinning and twirling and happy, you know, she knew love of her own. And yeah, it got 
misconstrued and it got reinterpreted and it got reframed into a, a period of a lot of years where I felt like that love wasn't from me um, and redefining that again and finding that, no, I am, this love is in here. It has always been in here and reconnecting with it was so good. We are born connected. We just get detached along the way. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of other people benefit from our detachment. Yeah. And so we have to learn along the way. Like who, Lindsay? Who benefits? Like perhaps the capital C church or the capital I institution or capital P patriarchy. Yeah, the, the, power, the capital P power, right? Yeah. Like the the systems of power and greed and oppression and when we're not connected to who we are mm-hmm. and when we're not living like children. Mm-hmm. So I think it's so funny when we always, always talk about... Um, you know, the places I come from, and I'm, I know you both, like, Jesus loved the children. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting the impression that that was like, well, he loved them because they just have a blind faith. Like, they just are mm. like, yes, Jesus, everything you say, I just believe it. Which first of all, I'm like, have you met a child? <laughs> is that is that what your kids are like? Is that what my kids are like? Asking questions. <laughs> yeah, and, and just like knowing things that they just know. Yeah. That they don't have to put in these big fancy words. They just know and move into and be and exist yeah and that's revolutionary it is hard when you're a little kid because you don't know better you don't know capital c capital p and so i think of my little rainbow bright girl who just trusted that's all we have to do is to trust the people around us and so i mean i I'm pausing to say this because it's also like a religious trauma image, but I've processed this one too in therapy. But when people that you trust tie a bracelet on your wrist and tell you about the white bead and the red bead and the black bead and tell you that you are not really good, but that you're actually bad and you're six, you don't know what else to trust. So you just believe it. And so I think it is beautiful to reconnect with the little girl parts that that knew that but as an adult that knows better. Yeah. And that's what that's what I didn't have. Right. Was the me now that knows better and that knows to ask the questions and that I have a part of me that will never believe anything again without also being a total skeptic. Yes. An angry, you know, so cigarette smoking skeptic that is like, listen, I mean, we will go pursue all of it, but we will always ask and we will always have the caveat to change our mind. Yep. Um, though I didn't have that. And none of us do. We just do the best we can. Yeah, and our parents and the people in the systems we're talking about have a system. Yeah, everybody. Who is doing all of this stuff in the same well-intentioned way, mm-hmm. like from a good-intentioned parts, yeah. trying to take care of them. So lots of compassion for that. In this moment, what would you have taken from that experience that you would want others to know on either on like a micro-personal level, but mm. also... Like macro political, because that's what we're here. We're talking about that as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how did that change the way that you see the world, mm-hmm. culture, et cetera, that you'd want people to? Macro is harder, but I think if I was just talking to someone else um, on a more personal level, I just would want anyone to know, especially if their situation was similar. I wouldn't want them to know that I could guarantee it was true that they would heal, like that they would have an experience like that, but that it was possible. And I think that's why I love telling this story is because I 
it matters. Like there's a part of the five years was not knowing what was possible and not knowing anything else besides, well, we're, this is over. And, and, and to have this almost like redemptive experience now is, I, I think I wish I would have known that, you know, obviously, but even, even if I couldn't have wrapped my mind around it, if I could have talked to myself then and be like, you're going to be okay. This is going to be okay. And on a macro level, I think the answer there is like, guess what? We are actually okay. And we don't need dependency on someone else's solution or someone else's version of, I know how to heal you or cure you or give you all the answers. Like that is the thing that is being sold for the cost of our souls. And we actually already own our souls and they're fine. Um, that's the macro. I'm like, so good. <laughs> Lindsay and I are no over here like see. fist pumping no and dancing. <laughs> Look at Lindsay are fist pumping. And I'm like, ooh, this feels good. Like, yes. It's true though. We are we actually already own our souls. And that when individual people begin to live into that reality, yes. the macro changes. Yeah. I mean, for me, like that's a lot of the fuel of the passion of the work that we do is Yeah this one person right in front of me, like, is not just one person. Like when that happens, everything changes in their world, which has a ripple, you know, like Mm -hmm. this is how, this is it. Mm -hmm. The macro is micro. Yeah. When you think about this experience and sort of looking back on it, um, and you had to say, you know, gosh, the, the, the universe is so much more blank than I realized, or, or even I am so much more blank than I realized. Like what, What's up for you? I think that the I am statement is what's coming up first for me. And I think it's the sense of resiliency. That's just what comes to my mind first. That I am so much more resilient and capable and okay than I ever thought. It just, I feel connected to that. There's one thing my therapist said after that whole session that always is sort of stuck with me because I was in this spiritual like moment with the part alone on the rock. And she looked at me and she said, well, through the camera, and she said, you know, Jennifer, we also heal in relationships. <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> I like the prairie. <laughs> but it is, an, I think, an important wisdom that would have been the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, you know, to a hundredth of the healing was learning to trust other people again. And I'm looking at two faces right now and, and feeling that. So that's like the second secret half of that story. It took me a lot longer to unpack that. I needed a lot of time on that prairie where it was safe before I ever tried going back. Right. And that part still can be there. Thanks for saying that because I think that's important to to remember is that all of this happens in seasons mm-hmm. and we have such a fixation in our world on the arrival point, on the goal. Like what's the goal and how do I get there as fast as I possibly can so that I can get the gold star and then I can be done mm-hmm. and not have to do this stuff anymore and check <laughs> it off my list. That's a very present part of me yes. um, in, my, in my parts work. She's like, all right, uh, we got one hour, so uh, what are we gonna, what are we gonna get done today? You know, <laughs> and the that's something you had to feel your way through. Yeah, was how lo- we can be here for a long time, mm-hmm. 
And then, when you're ready, then we'll feel our way into how do we share this part of ourselves with someone else? Who do, how do I know if someone's safe? How do mm-hmm. I know when and where is the right time? And there is not a time limit on that. Mm-hmm. For anyone listening, like, I just want everyone to realize how physical of a transformation you, mm-hmm. you really had. When someone walks in the room, if they are anxious, I know. Mm-hmm. I know it in my body. Or if they are uncomfortable, I know. Or if they are, if something's going on with them, I, was, I know. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> to the point that it is distracting <laughs> to me because my system can't, like, not receive that emotional feedback. Yeah. And the, like, that that was there when I first met you versus how your body feels to me now is, like, so different. Yeah. And I know that you you did that. You have shown me things that have shown parts of me things that are possible mm. that I'm not at yet or that I'm still very much in process with. And yeah. that's part of why we need each other is because mm-hmm. your healing is also mine. I started that therapy in 2020 and I started supervision with you in 2019 and a big part of it's tied together. It has been the whole time. Um, you're one of the first people that I think something in me knew. Mm, I think I maybe think this person might be safe enough to sit with. It was like one of the first times I know. And there was one time where you looked at me and you, I, I read through my journals. Um, I had written a lot of this out to remember the story better um, before this. And one of the journals was about you. And it said, there's a moment where you looked at me in supervision and you said, I trust you. That sentence might have been just as powerful as the whole therapy thing I just explained. Just looking, because I didn't think anyone trusted me anymore. I was disqualified from that because I had abandoned the dogma that qualified me. And you looked at me and you said, I trust you. I meant a lot. Thank you. I don't yeah. even, I'm not going to say anything to that because I'll just cry. <laughs> but <laughs> well, I just want to say thank you to both of you for letting me. Oh my gosh. There's just parts of me that want to tell this story so badly. And there's not enough, like a ton of access to places to people in, for a lot of reasons. Um, thank you for listening. Thanks for being here. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot. I used to read this. It's sort of a, about, um, there are sort of two characters-ish in this poem, and I used to think about it a lot as a relationship with humanity and the divine. And I think more and more often lately I've been thinking about it as the relationship between us and us. Hmm. And I think about the closet. It's called Bonfire at Midnight. A shout comes out of my room where I've been cooped up. After all my lust and dead living, I can still live with you. You want me to. You fix and bring me food. You forget the way I've been. The ocean moves and surges in the heat of the middle of the day, in the heat of this thought that I'm having. Why aren't all human resistances burning up with this thought? It is a drum and arms waving. It is a bonfire at midnight on the top edge of a hill, this meeting again with you. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Jennifer Bartley, daybreaktherapyservices.com. Yeah. All of her info will be in the show notes. And we'd love to hear 
how this episode has impacted you and your thoughts and feelings about it. And we'll see you next time. This must be